Awesome. Well, welcome, Everlast. How are we doing tonight? Doing good? Doing good. Well, my name is Tina. Uh, I am the young adults coordinator here, and Kevin, who is our uh, young adult pastor here. Uh, We are so excited that you have joined us. If you were new tonight, welcome. We are glad uh, that you are here. Tonight, we are continuing in our series, Created to Worship. And so throughout this series, we are going to be diving into the Word and what it says on how God created us to worship Him and different ways that we are to do that. Uh, Last week, Kevin taught on one way that we worship God, and that is through thanksgiving. That, That in every circumstance, whether good or bad, we are to be a thankful people because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I just want to encourage you, if you missed last week, to head to our podcast. That'll be up, like Kevin said, tomorrow. Uh, Listen to that teaching. We believe and pray uh, that it would be beneficial to you. And so tonight, as we continue in this series, we are going to be diving into God's Word as we look at another way we are created to worship, worship Him, and that is through obedience. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. That is where we're going to be in tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, we have some uh, in the back, uh, and that our team can get you as well. So if you don't have a Bible during prayer, uh, those are in the back of the room. Uh, So as you're turning there, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time through his word, and then we're going to dive on in. Amen? Cool, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Tonight, um, Lord, we thank you in advance for the work that you're going to do in and through this place. Um, Lord, I know just even tonight from my own heart, God, I am thankful that in my weakness, you are my strength. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would move in a mighty way, that you would speak through me. Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, that your word would go forth, and God, that you would speak to each individual in this room tonight. Lord, we love you, we need you, and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this uh, past Friday, uh, just a few days ago, uh, we had one of our awesome young adults over named Lindsay for dinner and her son, Callum. They're awesome. Uh, Yeah, if you don't know Callum, he is the one typically after every Everlast. uh, If you tend to hang around, he is the handsome, cute, little, blonde, almost two-year-old, full of energy and is literally running around the room until Lindsay says "It's, it's time to go home. He is super cute, sweet. We love both him and Lindsay and her husband, Dion. And so uh, anyways, this past Friday, we had them over uh, to our house. And after dinner, uh, we made our way into our living room area where we played, I'm talking hard. We played with trucks. Uh, We even have this dump truck that Callum's small enough to fit in. So we put him in the dump truck and Kevin's sitting on one side of the room and I'm sitting on the other and we are full force pushing him while he is rolling down uh, the room. It was great, it was a blast. But in that specific room, we have a brick fireplace. 
in that, everyone just went, uh-oh, uh, that, <laughs> not that kind of story, that brick uh, extends to each side of the wall. So you can uh, step up on it or you can sit on it. And so Callum, after we get done playing with trucks, wants to climb up and play on that brick area. And Lindsay, being the good mom that she is, tells Callum no. Callum, if you stand on that brick, you're going to fall, right? You need to be seated. And so Callum, being two, doesn't want to necessarily follow that command, right? For a two-year-old, that brick looks awesome. It looks fun to walk or run on. And so Lindsay tells him again, Callum, you need to sit down. And so Callum, reluctantly, not necessarily wanting to obey, obliges, sits down, puts his head down, crosses his arm, and just makes like this super, this just super cute pouty face. Like he's, he is, he's upset. And so he sits there for a few seconds, and then he looks around and notices there is an unfinished puzzle uh, that is right next to him in reach. And so Callum reaches for the puzzle, and Lindsay says, Callum, don't touch the puzzle. And Callum brings his hand back, and you can just tell he's thinking, right? His little mind is just a-going. And so he, he looks, at up, looks up at us and slowly lifts up his hand and slowly moves towards the puzzle. And we're like, Callum, don't touch the puzzle. And he'd move his hand back. And this went on and continued for several minutes, where eventually it ended up somehow becoming a fun game, not just for him, but for all of us in the room. It was great. Now, here's the reason why I would share this story. is because tonight we are looking at the second way in which we worship God, and that is through obedience. You see, when Lindsay gave Callum a command, he had the choice to obey or to disobey. He had the choice to listen and to then make the decision to sit down or continue standing. He had the choice to not touch the puzzle or to touch the puzzle. And just like Callum, when God gives us a command through his word, we too have a choice. A choice to obey those commands or to disobey those commands. Or in other words, Everlast, we have a choice to worship Jesus or we have the choice to worship something else. Uh, We talked about this last week. Worship is defined as treasuring or valuing something as supreme or above all else in your life. You see, God has created us to worship. So you're either worshiping God, meaning you are treasuring and valuing him above all else, or you are worshiping something else that you are valuing and treasuring above him. You, you may could say it this way, obedience equals worshiping at the feet of Jesus, disobedience equals worshiping at the feet of something else. Our passage here in 1 Samuel 15 is a great example of this, uh, but before we read this passage, let's get a little bit of background on what is taking place here. So back in Exodus chapter 17, you have the Israelites who have just come out of Egypt. They're out of slavery. God has delivered them from being under the hand and reign of Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 17, they are traveling, the Israelites, and they are passing the southern part of Palestine where the Amalekites live. And what happens is the Amalekites attack the Israelites from behind and cut off those who were lagging and those who were uh, the stragglers. And so Moses says to Joshua, 
Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And so Joshua goes to fight. While he goes to fight, Moses, Aaron, and Hur go up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Some of us know this story, right? Moses' arms get tired, and so Aaron and Hur held his arms up all day until they won the battle, until Israel finally prevailed. But God never forgot what the Amalekites did and promised they would be punished. So you fast forward many years, like a few hundred years later, God has made Saul king. And he commands him in verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 15 to destroy Amalek. Read with me verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God is asking Saul to destroy everything. Now, let me just briefly pause here, and then we're going to move on to the remainder and rest of the main passage. But I want to pause here because I know this verse can stretch some of us in the room. And honestly, verses like this should stretch us. That's not a bad thing. When you read that God commanded Saul to destroy everything, that, that includes women and children and animals, that, that doesn't necessarily sit well with some of us in the room. But let me just say this. History tells us how exceedingly wicked and vile the Amalekites were. History tells us they were a cunning and cruel race of people. Their religious and moral practices were so vile that in time, they would have self-destructed with venereal diseases. That's, that's sexual diseases. So, so we have to know, based off of God's word, that God is just and he is good in all that he does. Psalm 25, 8 confirms this when it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteous and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God is loving and just in all that he does. Amen? Amen. So moving on. After God gives this command, destroy Amalek, Saul gathers his army and goes against the city of Amalek. And in verse 8, we see that he destroys and kills with the edge of the sword. However, verse 9, we read that Saul did not fully obey the command of the Lord. Read along with me verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So just in case uh, you missed it here, that this is what's happening. God gives a command to Saul, but Saul only obeys some of the command. 
Saul was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to destroy everything. I'm going to keep alive what will be beneficial to me. Two things to note here. One, partial obedience is still complete disobedience. Just because Saul destroyed majority of Amalek doesn't mean he followed the full command. And this is an important lesson for us because Everlast, God doesn't want partial obedience. He wants full obedience. I can remember growing up and uh, we would have cleaning days. And most kids who are normal don't like cleaning days. And so my mom wanted everything to be clean and in order. And that included the clothes in the drawers to be folded nice and neat. Well, I would have clothes that were rolled up, just thrown in the drawer, super messy, wrinkly, all the things. Still do to this day. But it would have taken me a couple of hours to fold all of those clothes, get them back in the drawer, right? It would have been a whole process. So I would grab a few shirts, fold them, and then place them on top of the messy clothes. So it looked like I had done and completed the task, when in reality, I had only done it partially. Which, to be honest, I, I do feel like it was pretty smart, right? <laughs> and it was, it was time efficient. However, it still was a lie, right? I was still being disobedient. And Everlast, there are commands, things, plans, and instruction from the Lord that he has asked us to do, to, to walk in full obedience. And I think just a good question to ask yourself tonight is, am I being fully obedient to what the Lord is asking of me? Are there things that he, is, he has asked of me that I am only partially doing? And in the sense, therefore, we are still being disobedient. Because the second thing that we see here is that we obey what we worship. We obey what we worship. If you notice in that verse we just read, it says Saul kept the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the best of the fattened calves, and the lambs. It says anything that was good he did not destroy. And yet all that was despised and worthless, not beneficial, they devoted to destruction. Saul's actions of disobedience were from a heart that was worshiping and treasuring something else above God. He wanted what would turn out what was best for him, right? He, he in the sense, obeyed self. Again, we obey what we worship. And he worshiped pleasure, his own desires, over worshiping the Lord. Listen, what we obey will show what we value and treasure the most. We either are going to obey God or we are going to obey something else. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 24, just a few verses later, says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, this scripture is referring to money, but it applies here. Whether it's money, people, plans, friends, job, school, marriage, family, dating, popularity, whatever it is, you can't serve two masters. 
Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy those things or to desire those things, but are you worshiping at the feet of those things? Are those things being valued and treasured above God? And a good indicator of an idol or a good indicator of do I treasure this specific thing over God is asking questions like, how often do I think about these things? Do, do I get bitter or angry if, if those things don't come into play? Am I willing to settle or compromise my own goals and dreams for this thing? Or simply just asking the Lord to reveal and bring about idols or those things we are worshiping in place of him. So going back to the text, Saul worshiped at the feet of pleasure. And so he took what was beneficial for him and killed the rest. So God seeing Saul's disobedience, God says to Samuel in verse 11, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, again, just really quick, there's a lot of fun words in this passage. That word regret, some other translations also use the word repent. But either way, that word regret or repent in the Hebrew means to grieve, to be sorry, or to feel sadness. It does not mean that God regrets like man regrets in the sense that he made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. In the same passage of scripture, same passage in verse 29, he affirms this when he says, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. What he is saying here, making very clear that that word regret is not the same regret as man regrets. Example, if Kevin and I get into an argument, which 100% happens at times, and I said some things I shouldn't have, I'm going to regret making that decision, right? I'm going to wish that I never said those specific things, right? I made a mistake. I regret what I did. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't regret in the same way. I love how one commentator put it. He said this, God knew from the beginning Saul's heart, ways, and destiny. Yet, as all of this unfolded, God's heart was not emotionless. He didn't sit in heaven with a clipboard checking off boxes, coldly saying, all according to plan. Saul's disobedience hurt God. And since we can't grasp all what happens in God's heart, the closest we can come is for God to express it in the human terms of saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. When God says, I regret that I have made Saul king, God is expressing a different attitude than he did before. Again, not because it was unexpected, but because Saul's disobedience still broke God's heart. He says, I regret that I made Saul king. And so God telling this to Samuel, Samuel cries out to the Lord, pleading and interceding on behalf of Saul. And all night he does this until it's morning. Samuel, by the way, a few chapters earlier, is the one who anointed Saul as king. So Samuel's devastated that Saul disobeyed the Lord. 
Which, quick side note, something else to be noted here is that disobedience affects others. When we choose to disobey God, when we choose sin, when we make choices, a lot of times that's directly affects another person. Saul's decision here directly impacted not just Samuel, but remember Saul was king. His decisions affect the tribes of Israel, right? It affects the people he is over and responsible for. And so Samuel being brokenhearted, angry to the point that he cried all night long to the Lord, has to now go and address Saul's disobedience. And when he gets there, look at verse 12. When he gets there, it says this. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. This is important because it shows Saul's heart. Saul was clearly unrepentant here. He didn't uh, have any kind of conviction or guilt over what he had done. He completed the task in his eyes how he saw fit and then goes and sets up a monument for himself to worship. He, He was proud of it. He was pleased with what he had done. And again, Saul valued and treasured his own pleasure and self above God. And so Samuel receives this message and he heads to meet Saul, verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now you know that Saul had to be thinking, Really, bro? I've been up all night pleading with the Lord on your behalf, crying out to God. I know you've made a monument for yourself. You've been completely disobedient. And your first response to me is to greet me by saying, blessed be to you, the Lord. I have obeyed the Lord and succeeded in in the command he gave me. If we put ourselves in Samuel's shoes, we would not be happy, right? If I put myself in in Samuel's shoes and I stayed up all night praying on behalf of someone and then they greeted me in the name of Jesus and proudly tell me they obeyed the Lord when I know they didn't I would be upset right I would have some choice words biblical but choice words so Samuel responds to him and says what then is the sound of bleeding sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. He's basically calling out Saul and at this point, at this point and says, I can hear the animals you kept alive. And so what does Saul do? He blames the people, verse 15. They have brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. So Saul not only blames the people, but he says, well, the reason they did it was to give worship and sacrifice unto the Lord. And I love Samuel's response after that. He is fed up at this point and tells him to stop with the excuses. And they go back and forth for a few verses down. And then in verse 22, his response to that is this. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Samuel is saying, 
You are offering sacrifices and worship unto the Lord after you deliberately disobeyed him. Do you think worship and great sacrifice is more pleasing to God than obeying him? And the answer is no. Everlast, the Lord delights far more in obedience than in the performance of worship ceremonies without it. The Lord delights far more in you choosing to obey him than in heartless worship ceremonies without it. Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Samuel is saying, Saul, you may be giving sacrifices of worship unto the Lord, but your heart is far from him. God desires a heart of obedience rather than a heart of empty praise. And Everlast, that's not to say you can't go to God after you sin. It's not saying you can't worship God after you've chosen disobedience. That that is not what is being communicated here. God 100% wants us to come to him. However, there is a difference of a heart that is repentant over sin a heart that is broken over disobedience, and then there is a difference of a heart that is not repentant. And Saul's heart was not repentant or broken over his sin. He made a monument for himself right after and then blames the people for saving what was beneficial to him. Saul was not repentant. And again, there is a clear difference in, in a broken, convicted heart and a heart that is hardened and full of pride. And because of Saul's disobedience, there were consequences of his sin. Samuel says in verse 23, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. There are consequences for disobedience. There are consequences when we sin or choose to obey something other than God. Now, for the believer in the room, there's no condemnation, Romans 8.1, meaning the moments we sin or choose to disobey God and conviction sets in, because of Jesus who took our sin, who took the punishment for us, God's wrath that was placed upon him instead of us by means of the cross and because he died and rose again conquering sin and death, we are wiped clean. Because of the blood of Jesus, we won't experience his wrathful judgment. That there is no condemnation, damnation for those in Christ. However, there is still consequences for sin. Example, if you steal from a store and you get caught, there's going to be a consequence for that. If you lie to your spouse and let's say you confess, there's still consequences for that. And we as believers, unfortunately, are going to sin. Scripture says this, 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Everlast, we are not perfect people 
But because of Jesus, we are purified people. So, going back to the text, Saul hears the words, God has rejected you as king. And upon hearing those words, it was in that moment that Saul finally admits the sin. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Again, Everlast, we obey what we worship. Saul disobeyed God because he chose to obey something else, and that something else was man. He confesses, I have sinned because I heard the people and I obeyed their voice. He chose to obey the voice of man instead of obeying the voice of God. Saul was seeking the approval of man over seeking the approval of God. And we know fearing man is a great insult to the infinite God. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And Everlast, this story is a warning and a teaching to us about the worship of other things that lead to disobedience against God. And there are so many examples from this story of not just uh, that Saul chose not to obey, but the heart behind why he chose to disobey. Whether that was obeying self, fear of man, pleasure, whatever, Saul chose to obey and treasure and value these things over obeying and treasuring the one true king. And we see that. Saul put the fear of man in place of the fear of God. Saul elevated pleasure in things above pleasure in God. Saul sought a name for himself instead of a name for God. And Saul was satisfied, this one's big, this one's big, Saul was satisfied with his own will instead of being satisfied with the will and plans of God. Everlast, this passage should cause us to stop and ask the question, am I obeying God or am I obeying something else? And listen, let me just level with you here. Obedience is not always easy. At times, it's really hard. In fact, I would argue most times that it's, it's difficult. And if you are sitting in the room tonight struggling with obedience, whether that is over a particular sin that you keep running back to, whether that is the Lord asking you to step out in faith and do something, whether that is you forgiving someone, whatever that is for you, let me just encourage you, we have a God who understands that obedience isn't always easy. In fact, Jesus is the perfect example of that. Let me paint the scene for you. In Matthew 26, Jesus is about to be betrayed. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And scripture says he was so overwhelmed knowing all that he was about to face by means of the cross and wrath of God that it says he was sweating drops of blood. And in verse 39 says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That this is a moment where Jesus is asking, Can you remove what is about to take place? Is there any other way? That this isn't something that was easy to obey. 
that this was hard. We're talking about the full wrath of God here and a terrible way to die. This is no easy thing. And everlast, yet if it wasn't for Jesus obeying, we would have no way of knowing him. We would have no option of being in a relationship with him. We would have no hope or salvation in him. Because of Jesus' obedience, we get to worship him. And I love Hebrews 12 too, because although it was difficult for Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Everlast, what sustained Jesus in those dark hours of obedience was the hope of joy beyond the cross. Jesus obeyed the Father with the joy that was set before him. Which is a great segue into our final point of the night. Because in light of all that we talked about, I don't want to just leave you with, Everlast, don't be disobedient right? Or, or don't be disobedient because there is consequences or it doesn't pan, pan out well for Saul. That's true, but you need to know that one of the main reasons we are to be obedient is because there is joy in obedience. Our greatest enjoyment of Christ is enjoyed through a thriving state of obedience, That the primary reason we are to be obedient is because of our love and our joy in Jesus. I love how John Piper said it. He said, Christ honoring obedience is rooted in our treasuring of Jesus, our enjoying of Jesus. And I love that because what that is saying is that if we choose to live in disobedience to Christ, our joy in him will be minimal or non-existent. Everlast, if you want a joyless life, obey something other than Christ. In the end, what you choose to obey will either bring you joy or joylessness. Because disobedience is the opposite of joy. And if disobedience is the opposite of joy, then obedience in Christ is the fulfillment of joy. Something that is also helpful uh, for us to know is that it's not, it's not that we obey so we get to enjoy Jesus. That is true, but it's more we enjoy Jesus, so therefore we obey him. Meaning, if we treat obedience as something we do first and then joy in Jesus follows, we have turned obedience into a work of the law. I do this, so I get this. I obey, so I get joy. When in reality, the truth is, I enjoy Jesus, so I obey Jesus. Now, are there moments when I don't necessarily want to read God's word? Right? I I would rather be doing something else. Yeah, at times there are. But in those moments when I choose him and I start to read and spend time with Jesus, guess what happens? Joy follows. Why? Because Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So yes, it's not wrong to say joy does follow obedience in Christ. But again, it's not so much that we obey so we get to enjoy, but more so I enjoy Jesus, so therefore I obey him. 
Because I enjoy God, I treasure God above all else, and obedience directly follows. And there is joy in obeying our one true king. And listen, there are many good secondary motivations for not being uh, disobedient that the Lord uses, right? I don't want to disobey because consequences will follow. And although that's a good secondary response to obedience in Christ, it's not the primary. The primary reason for being obedient is because of my love for Jesus and my joy that is only found in him. Everlast, are you truly enjoying Jesus? I'm going to ask it again. Are you truly enjoying Jesus? Because what you obey will reveal and answer that question. What you are running to will reveal and answer if you're truly enjoying God. Saul obeyed what he worshipped. He was trying to find his joy in selfish pleasure and in approval of man. And Everlast, another good question to ask is, what are you obeying? What might be something God is asking you tonight to be obedient to? Everlast, we are created to worship Jesus, and we do that through our obedience in him. Would we be a ministry that is constantly looking to Jesus, our joy, our hope, our love, and the perfecter and finisher of our faith? And that as we look to Christ and the work that he has accomplished for us by means of his life, death, and resurrection, would we be a ministry full of joy, thinking about all that he has done for us? And in knowing that, would we obey what we worship? which is Jesus himself, our one true king. Amen? Let's pray.